Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think it is appropriate to begin today's show with an acknowledgement of just how successful UGA has become at putting players in the NFL draft. Uh, Over the course of the weekend, there were nine former dogs selected. That's a school record for Georgia. And while it is a school record, it is very much in keeping with what Kirby Smart has been doing year after year after year since becoming Georgia coach. If you want to go back, it's almost impossible to even remember this. It seems like longer ago than it really was. After Smart's first season in 2016, the 2017 NFL draft had just one Georgia player selected in the entirety of the draft. Isaiah McKenzie was was taken in that draft. That was the only Georgia player selected. Since then, every single year is like a who's who, you know, big, big list of Georgia players being taken each and every week. Kirby Smart has done a very good job of making Georgia a pipeline for the NFL. And obviously, when and we talk about the perception of the NFL draft a lot, obviously, when you have same school mentioned as many times as a school like Georgia gets mentioned. Obviously, that only helps your future recruiting efforts. And by now, that's fairly well-traveled ground in a show like this. We've talked about that plenty. But on Friday's show, one of the things I also started talking a little bit more about, though, is is what the NFL draft also tells us about the final frontier for UGA. And we all know someone like me who cheers for the program, someone like you likely cheering for the program if you're watching the show right now. We know the thing that Georgia hasn't quite done yet. For all the things that Kirby Smart has done, and for all the thresholds he's crossed over at UGA, the one final frontier that quite hasn't been achieved yet is winning that national championship. And I don't think there's any doubt that the NFL draft kind of points you in the direction of how you eventually get there. And it is not, I have to say, the kind of total draft pick number that Georgia seems to really show up on lists very high each and every year on. In fact, let me show you this from the 2021 NFL draft. The schools that are producing the most draft picks, you're probably not surprised to hear that Georgia is kind of like right there near the top, tied with Notre Dame with nine uh, picks in the 2021 NFL draft. But if you look at the teams that are producing the most draft picks, or at least the teams that produced the most draft picks uh, last year, or I should say this weekend's NFL draft, you see kind of an interesting commonality amongst these teams. Alabama led the way with 10 total picks, six of those first-rounders. Ohio State, 10 total picks, just one first-rounder this year. Then, as I said before, Georgia and Notre Dame both had nine. Florida below that had eight, the two first-rounders included. Michigan had eight, and LSU had seven, one first-rounder there after having a gigantic haul a year ago. And keep the graphic up just for a second if you don't mind, because Here's what I think is really interesting about the schools near Georgia in terms of total overall draft picks. Now, Notre Notre Dame did make the college football playoff, but was blown out by Clemson in the ACC title game and then blown out uh, in the the semifinal game they also played in. Florida has eight total picks. That's just one behind Georgia. But Florida lost four games a year ago. Michigan is largely thought to be an underachieving team, despite the fact they are near the top when it comes to total draft picks produced. And LSU, obviously a lot of attrition off last year's roster, but seven total draft picks didn't help the Tigers seemingly much on the field this past season. I think there's a fairly clear takeaway from all of this. And the clear takeaway is, while it is really good to have a high number of total draft picks, 
Olympics, and it's the kind of thing that Georgia ought to celebrate and publish graphics and you know reach out with a message to recruits, and they ought to you know you ought to use that to your advantage from a recruiting sense, and I'm all for that. But in terms of really connecting dots to what leads to a national championship it is not you have to say the total number of draft picks that's getting that done really it's more about the first round picks you're producing Alabama only had one more pick than Georgia did in the entirety of the draft but six of those were first rounders and obviously when you watch Alabama play this past season you see a dynamic level of play on both sides of the ball that is clearly generated by high-end talent playing at a very high level that was the kind of thing, whether it be, you know, for the full 60 minutes in October or over the entirety of a season a year ago, that, that Georgia did have a hard time matching. And for what it's worth, this is not just the 2021 draft for which this is true, looking back on the 2020 season. You can say the same thing going back a year ago. I don't have this graphic to show you, but I'll, but I'll kind of read it anyway. LSU led the way. That's the defending national champion in the 2020 draft with 14 total picks. Five of those were first rounders. Now, by the way, when you add Jamar Chase to that, who played on that team in a big way in 2019, who was just taking the first round this past year all of a sudden now you're up to six total first rounders for LSU off that 2019 team Ohio State had 10 three first rounders Michigan once again near the top of the list with 10 total draft picks but just one of those uh, taken in the first round uh, Alabama had four first round picks in 2020 uh, nine total draft picks once again you're kind of looking at the same kind of situation here where the thing that really seems to set you apart from a national championship level is not the total draft picks you're producing producing it's the first round picks that you're producing if you want to go back and look at the same thing from the 2019 NFL draft the team that led the way with total picks was Alabama but Alabama was not the reigning national champion in 2018 that was Clemson who only had six total draft picks but three of those were first rounders now with Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence being taken in the first round of this most recent draft you're now up to at least five first rounders off that Clemson roster with potentially more to come and that's kind of the story that you see over and over and over again, that the differentiator when it comes to national championships for at least the last three years, and it certainly seems like college football has undergone kind of a, a little bit of a sea change over the course of the last three years in terms of just how dominant the national champion has been. This past year's Alabama team was in the discussion for greatest team of all time. Now, that may be recency bias and hype, uh, but that was the, some of the discussion they got. Uh, the year before that, the LSU team, at least on the offensive side of the ball, was kind of in some similar discussions. You know, you may not say that about Clemson for 2018, but you certainly said that a lot about Alabama as they ran through most of the SEC there in 2018. Then, lo and behold, the national championship game, Clemson just absolutely walloped them on the way to their national championship, a second in, the, uh, in a three-year span when it comes to Clemson we've just seen a level of dominance from recent national champions that has you know set it up you know this current era apart from almost any previous era that we've seen in college football for just how good you have to be to truly be a national champion and there's no reason to think that 2022 or I should say the 2021 season that we're about to have is going to be any different so as we get ready to now move into an off season in the late spring and summer will go by fast all of a sudden we're playing games in the 2021 season it's time to talk about you know what it is truly going to take for Georgia to actually get over the hump and win that national championship. It's a realistic possibility. It's the kind of thing that the raw materials and the natural resources within this program, they exist for it to occur. But you're going to have to see 
what Clemson has done off its 2018 roster with now, what, five first-round picks, with what LSU has done off its 2019 roster with now, what, is it six first-round picks? Am I right about that? Six first-round picks for uh, LSU off that 2019 team. And the Alabama team from a year ago, already six first-round picks off that roster as well. That's the kind of mark that you need to see if Georgia's going to truly take that next step and win that national championship. So this is one of those topics it's going to take a couple of days to unpack. When you look across the entirety of the Georgia roster right now, you see great potential for this. You see a JT Daniel at quarterback. You see a couple of potential running backs. You see maybe some potential there at the wide receiver spot. Maybe some potential there at the offensive line. Certainly plenty of names on defense. The former five stars like Trayvon Walker or Nolan Smith or an anchor for the defensive line like a Jordan Davis or on and on and on you go. You see plenty of potential. Nicole Dean at linebacker. You could add him into that discussion there as well. You see plenty of potential, but the story of this offseason for Georgia is that potential truly coming together. Take that next step with that development. Not just be a good player, but be a great player. To be a household name. The kind of name that gets called on the Thursday night of an NFL draft and not a Friday or a Saturday there. The Example from the last three NFL drafts could not be more clear. The teams that are winning the national championship are the teams that are producing the most first-round picks. And it's not three, in some cases not even four. It's like five, six. It's big, big big-time numbers. That's the national championship threshold right now. Georgia has a chance to achieve that. But it's going to be a long off-season of hard work to actually be able to get that done. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, of course, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. So glad to have all of you with us. And as I said before, we're going to spend a few more days kind of looking at you know, some of these potential first-rounders for Georgia and the recipe needed for UGA to match the six that Bama has done, the you know, the the big number that LSU put up and the Clemson before that. That's the next thing for Georgia, and we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about the, how the dogs uh, get all that done. Of course, as I said before, brought to you today by our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I love Pella, especially this time of year, because, listen, I love to crank up my AC and, like, just keep that thing going all spring and summer. Uh, big, heavy set guys like me, we like air conditioning. That's probably not new information for you. Well, it's important when you run that AC, because, let's face it, electric bills and things like that are expensive. You want to keep the AC inside your house. That's what more energy-efficient windows and doors can provide for you. They also make your home look better on the outside, and that's kind of a cool thing, too. And nobody better at providing all this for you than our friends at Palo Window and Door of Georgia. They're a nationally known company. means you get unparalleled resources. They have a locally family-owned branch right here in Georgia, which means you get unrivaled service. It's all the things that Palo Window and Door of Georgia can do for you. They can set you up for an easy uh, consultation, and they'll explain all your installation options and everything that's kind of there for you, show you product samples, and it's just a really good walkthrough and education process for you to be familiarized with everything that Palo Window and Door of Georgia can do for you. Also offering great savings. You can currently get 10% off your entire order or 0% APR for 24 months so please make sure you check them out um they are viewed to be the best you can get in touch with them 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or on the web pella of ga.com slash dog nation pella of ga.com slash dog nation just do me a favor tell them that ba from dog nation daily sent you and tell them i said they'd take good care of you because i know they are going to do that all right we're gonna get john stinchcomb in just a moment 
Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse and away from the NFL draft here just briefly, just for a minute. Let's talk about big news for George on the recruiting trail on Friday when four-star wide receiver Denali Morissette made his pledge to UGA. I believe we have the graphic that Morissette shared on social media as a way of making this full and official. Morissette now in the class saying staying home, and that has really become a theme for uh, for, for Georgia Keeping those dogs at home, big-time success in the state of Georgia for the class of 2021, and now some of that same kind of stuff for the class of 2022. Of course, Morissette's one of those guys that knows this um, this group of 2022 recruits that seem to sort of gravitate in the same orbit of quarterback Gunnar Stockton really well, Oscar Depp and Kojo Antwi. Delp and Antwi, of course, UGA recruiting targets. They are not UGA commits, but Morissette is now in the uh, fold on all of this. And on Friday, knowing the fact that Morissette's announcement was coming that afternoon, I had a chance here on Dog Nation Daily to talk to Jeff Sintel about exactly what Morissette is as a player, if Georgia was lucky enough to get him, what they would be getting. And I thought Jeff gave a very interesting answer. Let me let you hear some of that right now. He's a guy that you saw him last year finally get connected with a big-time offense at Brookwood and a big-time quarterback in Dylan Lonergan, a 2023 arm that you know, he's gotten all the offers, just picked up an Alabama offer lately, and he became unguardable, really, in some of the biggest games last year for Brookwood. I remember games where he has, like, seven seven catches, 200 yards, three touchdowns. You see him at the seven-on-seven events, very hard to cover. Yeah, very hard to cover there, and I got, as Jeff said, kind of put up big numbers for Brookwood a year. I think he's actually at North Cobb now, but he did play for Brookwood a year ago and put up some big numbers there in that offense. So it seems like there's a lot to like about Morissette, and we know the wide receiver position is going to be a sort of key position of need for Georgia this class of 2022 so Morissette the next step in all of that that is certainly great to see and that is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily here today I also want to give you a brief announcement about one thing so on Friday's show we are going to kick off a period of time leading up to a big event we're going to be doing in and around the sort of Battery Truist Park area on May 21st in connection with Atlanta Braves Alumni Weekend. We're going to be telling you more about that coming up on Friday. This is going to be a really fun thing. I'm actually broadcasting Dog Nation Daily on Friday morning from uh, the Battery just outside Truist Park. I'm actually going to the Braves game that night. Looking forward to all of that. And it's all in kind of in mind of the fact that the month of May is just going to be a huge month here in the A when it comes to the Atlanta Braves. A lot of big stuff going on there at Truist Park. So I want to make sure you're aware of this. There are 13 games in all for the Braves uh, in 17 games, I should say in 17 days, in a stretch going through the month of May. Chance for you to see Freddie Freeman, the reigning National League MVP. Obviously, Ronald Lacuna, who's been as hot as anybody to start the season. All of this going on around there. Big-time promotions going on as well. It's the Napa Auto Parts cap giveaway coming up on May 7th. The kids' cap giveaway on May 9th. How about the MV-free Freddie Freeman bobblehead coming up on May 23rd there as well. Of course, Phillies and Blue Jays in town uh here to start the month there as well from the 7th to the 13th Mets and Pirates coming in later on in the month there as well and one of the most popular events each and every year is back this year again that's alumni weekend from Friday May 21st through Sunday the 23rd uh this is such a fun thing parade Q&A session with former Braves players autographs there as well so it's going to be an awesome time for you to get your friends together you know you know mom for Mother's Day family I, I know my kids are dying to get to a game because obviously it's 
been a long time since we've uh, been to one. So hopefully we're all going to be able to do that here very, very soon and a lot during the month of May. You get the chance to do that there as well. It's Braves.com slash tickets. That's Braves.com slash tickets for more information on that. Big, big month. May in the A in and around Truist Park. Cannot wait to celebrate all of that with you. And I'll see you there Friday for uh, Dog Nation Daily. And of course, uh, getting ready for a big event we're going to be doing on May 21st as well. This is going to be a ton of fun all right it's great to have all of us here today on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia a lot of fun coming up but for now let's get ready to talk to our buddy john stinchcomb from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so on what is a very unusual edition of dog nation daily i'm actually speaking to john here via phone inside the I guess you call it the bowels of the building. We've had a tornado warning over the top of our building here today. And in all seriousness, I hope everybody's staying healthy and safe in regards to the weather because it sounds like we're dealing with that all across the Atlanta area today. But it's obviously wreaked havoc on our ability to talk some Georgia football post-NFL draft. So, John, thanks for kind of doing things a little bit differently here today, but I certainly appreciate you being with us. Okay, it's always a good time. And uh, like, like you said, B.A., as long as folks are safe, uh, no doubt about that. That's priority number one. So let's see if we can shift back to the topic at hand. And, you know, off the very top of the program today, John, I said a couple of things. I said it is truly remarkable how much NFL draft success that George has enjoyed under Kirby Smart, breaking the record for most draft picks again uh, this past weekend with nine overall selections. And at the same time, I think the draft also kind of points to those final frontiers for George under Kirby, which is, how you get over the hump and win a national championship. And it's hard not to notice that the last three national champions, Clemson in 2018, if you also add like Lawrence and Etienne drafted this year, LSU in 2019, plus Jamar Chase going in this year's draft. Obviously the six first rounders taken by this year's national champion, Alabama. It just seems like in the last three years, John, we're kind of living in a new world where the threshold of achievement, if you want to win a national championship is like six first-round picks, and or at least something around that number, it seems like. So for as great as Georgia's draft success has been, hard not to notice that the very best teams in college football are having more success in the first round. And that, to me, kind of points the way forward for Georgia, at least in my mind, I'm curious your opinion on this, is how you can take NFL talent and now develop them to the point they become top-end NFL talent the way the Clemson's, the LSU's, and Alabama's have, have done. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think there's something there. I do think that, you know, you have to have talent to, to be competitive in today's game, really in any game. But uh, having nine draft picks, that's huge for Georgia. I think it speaks to the uh, amount of talent that we have on campus uh, but it also points to how can we take that next step. And there are two things that really come into play here when you look at um, what's going on with the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world and, and where Georgia's at. One, I think the, the easiest thing to point to is uh, retention and staying that extra year. I mean, you made that point earlier in the show about Alex Leatherwood probably not a first-round draft pick last year, sticks around for another year, and you get that first-round designation when he comes out in this draft. So 
the ability for Georgia to, to keep those guys, the, the Leatherwood type player who, you know, very easily could have been a, a second or third round draft pick last year, staying on campus for an extra year, that matters. I think it also leads to team success. So they work hand in hand. The other thing is, is being able to uh, have the draft classes or the, the signing classes that lead to the draft classes. So, Georgia's in the hunt for all of the top-notch talent on an annual basis, but being able to close on uh, those players and continue to develop is uh, another piece. A big key uh, to to being identified as elite is obviously you have to be really skilled, but uh, you'd be naive to think that team success doesn't affect the way a player is viewed and uh, when you look at Alabama, there comes a, a certain pedigree that, uh, as a player, you're seen in a light that is more glorifying than if you play on a, on a losing team. You almost have uh, more respect for what they did when you're playing at these schools than you would for lesser teams. I, I'm thinking specifically of you know, guys that were buried on a depth chart um, or a roster, rather, in like Detroit and Cincinnati for a number of years in the NFL. They probably uh, – Jeff Backus was a left tackle for the mm-hmm. Detroit Lions and a great player. Never really got his due because the t- team success wasn't there. Uh, the, the opposite is in effect when you look at guys uh, that play for Alabama and Clemson and that, man, maybe they're seen as – playing at a higher level um, because of the team success. I I know I'm rambling on there, but um, that's certainly part of it. They work hand in hand. Individual success and team success are not independent of one another. Because Alabama is having so much team success, do you think that's why it's easier for them to get players to stick around for a senior year? Because the one thing you don't – and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure the numbers would back me up on this. The one thing you certainly see a lot from Alabama is – junior leaves school early and becomes a fourth or a fifth round pick when they're when they're you know juniors leave it's usually you know for a a good reason because they're going to be drafted you know very high whereas you know georgia does have a little bit more experience with guys who could have returned to school you know not getting you know the best draft position you know not not necessarily going in that in that first round overall is it the perennial playoff status that allows alabama to do that as often as they have I think it's got that absolutely has to factor in. They've created a culture in Tuscaloosa where um, they value coming back if you're not a day one or early day two pick, and that's commendable. I'm not trying to throw shade at Georgia when I say it, but there's something to say about their early early draft entries. Um, all going highly, and maybe it's they're getting better advice, but um, it, certainly you're leaving money on the table and opportunity. Uh, when you get picked later in the draft, yes, you're the, still the same guy and it's as you will be that year down the road, but the NFL is not a developmental league, not to mention you're locked into a certain – bracket of payment for the next four, possibly five years. So it is a a financial decision that, uh, you know, I think 
more heed needs to be taken for some of these draft picks and, and uh, whether they're getting bad advice or not. I mean, it, it's just troubling and sad, heartbreaking, really, to watch guys miss out on some really good opportunities, opportunities to uh, create something special in the college ranks and leave a legacy that you can be proud of. Um, and, and on a selfish level, miss out on opportunities to develop your game, get paid more coming out of uh, college and walk into situations that are more catering to your success. I mean, if you're a first or second round guy, that team has a plan and a vision for you early on. There is opportunity that, that is waiting for you. If you're a later round guy, they think you might fit. They, they, they think you have a skill set that you can either develop or, or help with depth or special teams, but there is not an immediate opportunity that um, you're walking right into. So it's a, it's a much different situation, and, and you just, you know, uh, you, you can appreciate more than anything the culture that is created um, with successful teams like Alabama and Clemson and, and their ability to retain underclassmen that aren't opting out early to just be drafted. That That's not enough for them. The other thing that, you know, when I mentioned the huge number of first-round picks, it seems to take one national championship. They can seem like this daunting thing, but I think it's also important to point out the way in which a first-round quarterback kind of almost becomes a lever for additional first-rounders. You know, Trevor Lawrence on Clemson 2018 – you know, creates big opportunities for Travis Etienne and T. Higgins, who are, uh, you know, you know, guys like that who also eventually go on to be high draft picks. Mac Jones obviously creates an opportunity for Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and you know Najee Harris. Obviously, Joe Burrow, the success he enjoyed in 2019, opened the door for a lot of uh, big time LSU offensive players. That the shortcut, the cheat code for like these huge first round hauls seems to be getting first-round play from a quarterback. And if you do that, that seems to be the kind of rising tide that lifts a lot of ships in addition to just that quarterback, doesn't it? Yes. Team success breeds independent individual success, Um, whether it's in the uh, awards that you get at the end of the year. But there are a number of – let's stay with wide receivers. There are wide receivers out there that are on a team – that they just don't have a, a quarterback good enough to get them the ball at the at the rate and efficiency for them to have gaudy numbers and show their skills are on some elite level in the same way that someone who's playing for uh, Clemson and you've got Trevor Lawrence out there uh, slinging the rock around, it's not the same. You don't have those same opportunities. You're going to have to get an extra yard of separation and uh, still battle and, and contest for balls that otherwise you wouldn't. So, yes, when you're when you're surrounded more by more talent, it makes you look better, and and usually that's reflected in the uh, win and loss column at the end of the season. So, it makes sense that you see the pooling of players and. And positions even. Uh, you, you look at Georgia. I mean, uh, having four drafted secondary players, that's huge. It also comes in a year where you have uh, a defensive end or outside linebacker that was possibly a, a first-round draft pick 
I think that those go hand in hand. They work complementary to one another. So uh, when you're able to surround yourself with more talent, does it allow you to look better and play better? You better believe it. There's there's less opportunities uh, to screw up on the defensive side of the ball, and there's more opportunities on the offensive side of the ball because, you know, if, if I'm going up against a team where I know this one guy is a problem, then I can focus on him. It's it's a lot more difficult when there's six problems that you can't just yeah. focus on one. So let me finish with this. One of the things I'm hoping to do over the course of the next few days is look at some of these candidates on the current Georgia roster who could have their name called in the first round next year. And I would say when it comes to, like, skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, even some of the defensive positions, there's some fairly fairly well-established statistical benchmarks that kind of let us know kind of what you have to do if you want to look like previous draftees. But for offensive line, uh, it's a little bit harder to measure all of that. You know, take a guy like Jamar Salia, for instance, who I think, you know, he reminds me a lot of Isaiah Wynn. Wynn became a first-round pick uh, after his final season at Georgia in 2017. If someone like Salyer is on the way to being a first-round pick, John, how would someone like me know that? Well, I, you know who he, his route would remind me of is the guard at a USC uh, that was drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. And you look at him, and, and he played mostly left tackle um, for the Trojans, and it's projected more as a guard. It would be the same for Salyer in that he's a football player. He's, he moves well. Um, he's held down the left tackle spot and possibly could again for uh, one more year for Georgia. But most likely his projection as to where he would be what best suited is at guard. And so you just you watch him play. And, and you know, I think the same could be same, said for Leatherwood. I mean, he's a, he was a left tackle for Alabama, but uh, a guy that is just an offensive lineman. And you, I want guys like that on my team. I can – fit him in at left guard, right guard, right tackle, left tackle, and feel like um, I don't have to worry about that position anymore. Is there one better suited than the other for their skill set? Of course. Sawyer's a guy that uh, he's selfless in that he's willing to, if the team needs him to play inside or outside, he's willing to do that. But um, from what I've seen and, and looking at his body type and, uh, his his level of play, is he better suited at guard? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So um, what does he need to do? Have a great year. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you, you execute on the opportunities that you're given. And for fans, when you don't hear the name Jamari Salyer, that's usually a good thing. When you don't hear the name of the defensive end that he's going up against all game long and, and you don't really notice that they're a part of it, as an offensive lineman, that's the biggest win that we can get. Well, John, it's obviously a little bit of an unusual day for us in terms of dealing with the weather, but this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your flexibility, and thank you for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. Well, of course, uh, I enjoy it however it comes, and it certainly was a great weekend to be a Bulldog and hear the number of uh, Georgia players' names being called and representing us so well and and across the SEC. So always a great day to be a Bulldog. Uh, John, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks. 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, uh, terrific stuff. Uh, always happy to have you here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. And, of course, I wanted to do this. I'm really excited about this. We've been telling you about this for a while. And I just cannot believe the, first of all, the huge number of submissions we've gotten for our Kroger Five Star Moms uh, promotion here. And we've gotten hundreds of these. The stories themselves, and I haven't been able to read all of them. I've had a couple of them shared with me. Uh, the folks who are kind of helping us kind of chronicle these. And the way the, the, the giveaway works is it's basically like a, I, th- I think the uh, the winners are drawn at random here. So you so you read all the submissions. You kind of put them into a hat. You kind of pull out the winners. And a, a couple of people have shared me a couple of these stories. And they are just so moving. And y'all know I love family. Uh, my, my own personal family is very important to me. The way in which my family of origin kind of influenced my life is, is a big deal for me there too. So I don't. I'm never going to be happier than when I'm able to kind of celebrate family through a promotion we're doing around here. That's what the that's obviously what the Kroger Five Star Mom uh, giveaway has allowed us a chance to do here today. So over the course of this week, starting today and throughout the rest of this week, leading into Mother's Day on Sunday, we're going to be announcing one of our Kroger Five Star Moms. Today's submission comes from Ken Feinberg, who uh, tells us about his mom. What a great story this is. Now, she's a big Ohio State fan, but she still loves watching uh, Georgia games, invites him over the house to watch Georgia games. She even watches the Georgia games, he says, when uh, she's not there, even though she's originally a Buckeyes fan. So always nice when you can have a conversion story, and this is an example of one of those, an OSU uh, mom becoming a, a UGA mom to kind of be there with uh, Ken. So uh, terrific stuff here. And we know how important Ken's mom is to, to, to him and so many of you kind of the same way there. So congratulations to Ken Feinberg on your mom being named our Kroger five-star mom here for today. Uh, and of course, don't forget, as we head towards Mother's Day, you can certainly treat your mom like a five-star mom with all the big things going on there. Kroger's.com slash Mother's Day. This is the website to go to. Greeting cards, gift cards, brunch ideas, and if you want to kind of do your own brunch thing there. Also great savings on some of the gifts that we like to give this time of year. Patio furniture, things like that. It's all there at your local Kroger. They're going to really help you treat all the moms in your life like five stars as we head towards Sunday. And, of course, I'll be ready tomorrow to do another Kroger five-star mom giveaway. With that said, let's do our SEC through here and talk about the uh, league here just for a moment. You know, it's, it's interesting to see schools like Alabama and Georgia and even Florida, who had eight total draft picks, kind of at the front end of the discussion for, you know, SEC teams with the most picked. It was obviously a, a very successful weekend for the SEC, shattering its own record in terms of total picks taken. I, I think in, in totality, I think there were was it like one out of every four players taken in the draft was an SEC player? I mean, it's just really amazing when you think about how many college football players there are. You know, beyond just the Power Five, all these college football players, and yet so many of the draft picks obviously hail from the SEC. But this was not an equal opportunity moment for this league. There are a couple of teams right now, and it's probably no surprise that these are teams with either second-year coaches or brand-new coaches. There are a couple of teams right now that, at least on the basis of measurable NFL draft talent, they're just not producing at the same level as they, you know, maybe once were. Auburn in total, only four picks taken. Tennessee, I believe, in total, only two picks taken. It really speaks to the uphill climb that exists for new coach Josh Heupel there at Tennessee to, to upgrade that talent. You've had a mass exodus out of that program in recent years. Brian, you know, Brian Harson uh, at Auburn in particular, because, you know, Auburn's a program that we kind of think of even in the Gus Malzahn era, even in the late stages of the Gus Malzahn era. We kind of think of as a program that was supposed to be a nemesis for Georgia in the recruiting trail. 
But boy, it's amazing how kind of not true that is anymore. Uh, at least in terms of the big conversations for the big time players, you know, the idea of, of Auburn, you know, getting an Owen Popo as a for instance, a lot of that seems like a long time ago. You know, in, in the in the intervening time since then, when you look up and down that Auburn roster, how many of those guys in that Auburn roster right now? How many of those guys are like just a, only a short stone's throw away? I'm talking about growing up from that kind of area in and around the Auburn campus. Auburn has become a very, very aggressive geographic recruiter. Western Georgia, the area around uh, you know the uh, campus there uh, in Auburn, because obviously their main recruiting rivals, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the schools like that, are, are just dominating so much of what else goes on there. You've seen Auburn kind of forced to, to just do things a little bit different, and it really speaks to the challenge awaiting Brian Harson. Let me say one more thing on this point, too, before we kind of move on to something else. I thought that Peter Burns from the SEC Network had a very interesting tweet. I don't have the tweet in front of me. I don't really know the overall numbers off the top of my head, but this is really important. He was talking about the total number of draft picks that that certain teams faced. And this is a really interesting way to look at the draft. And I haven't quite thought about it this way, that you have schools like Alabama and Georgia that over the course of a season are facing couple hundred draft picks you know you know facing you know elite talent on the other side in so many of their games by comparison now this is a little bit of a misnomer in the fact that it was a shorter season uh they weren't playing the full 12 game slate but ohio state i think according to peter burns played fewer than 50 draft picks all season long on its way to a to a college football playoff i just think it's really really important for us to keep remembering that in terms of the talent you're facing on a Saturday in, Saturday out basis, there is really nothing that rivals the SEC. This is one of those things that we all seem to, and by we, I mean all of us who care about college football outside the SEC country footprint. This is one of those things that we all seem to be somewhat aware of when we're doing draft talk, right? The SEC dominates the total number of draft picks each and every year, and we all kind of remind ourselves of that. But have you ever noticed the collective level of amnesia that seems to show up during the season when it comes to stuff like this for instance when it's playoff debate time and there's you know a couple open playoff spots and four or five teams being debated we never seem to hear it mentioned in national media or within the you know the kind of corridors of power that well maybe we should give the benefit of the doubt to the second sec team because that's the league where the most of the nfl talent plays that never comes up during the season it always comes up come draft time because you know it's just right there in front of you it's it's too obvious to ignore but during the season we find a way to kind of talk ourselves into well maybe notre dame is just as good as texas a&m now notre dame had more draft picks than texas a&m did but but still it's the draft picks that a school like a&m is playing along the way to a to a one loss season this past year or go back to georgia in 2018 the number of draft picks it's playing along the way to its 10 and 2 season that year i guess we've been 11 and 2 season all you know all, all the way around we never quite seem to to bring that up when it couldn't matter during a playoff debate of just maybe the benefit of the doubt ought to be given to the extra SEC team there. I think this is one of those debates and arguments that the SEC fan, the SEC fan who wants to see you know the SEC appropriately represented in the playoff discussion, this is one of those things that that you you shouldn't concede this argument on the rest of college football's terms. That 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 college football puts the pressure on the SEC to make the argument for why a second SEC team is deserving. When the actual more appropriate argument, I believe, is probably to put the onus and the pressure on the other side. 
given how many draft picks the SEC produces year after year after year, shouldn't the pressure be on the other side to convince me of why another team, even if it is a conference champion, especially if that conference champion is from the Big 12, a league that now has a multi-year history of being deficient come NFL draft weekend, shouldn't the pressure be on the media or the uh, the college executives to prove that that team is as good as the second-best SEC team? I think this is one of those things where the SEC has frankly been too willing to concede in this debate uh, about just how big the gap is between the rest of the league and the uh, I should say the rest the SEC and the rest of college football this is something the SEC I believe is conceded way, you know way too easy and probably going forward that should not be the case uh, one more quick SEC through story to get to here for a moment so we talked on Friday a little bit about Jamison Williams, the former Ohio State receiver who was put his name in the transfer portal, and now there's a little bit of chatter about where he might end up. He's got a list of finalists, I guess. Uh, but AL.com is reporting that Alabama may be the leader for Williams. This is really interesting. We talked to Jeff about this on Friday. I guess the thought was that Williams wanted to leave Ohio State because the wide receiver room's too crowded. All of a sudden, you go from one credit wide receiver room to another because Alabama obviously has a huge haul of 2021 wide receivers, but that seems to be the case right now and you know you got to keep this in mind you know you talk about the perception that's out there when it comes to recruiting Georgia's trying to upgrade its offense it's trying to upgrade its wide receiver situation as a way of doing that but look at the transfer wide receivers that we've seen just so far here right now you know Xavier Worthy leaving Michigan very quickly lands with Steve Sarkeesian at Texas a uh, program uh Sarkeesian offensive coordinator that obviously dominated Alabama a year ago Mike Woods leaves Arkansas. You kind of wonder where he wants to go. He in, he inserts himself into a crowded wide receiver situation there at Oklahoma. Jamison Williams leaves Ohio State, but doesn't go for a, a thinner, you know, wide receiver situation. Goes to a crowded place like Alabama because Alabama has a history of doing big things with wide receivers. Perception really seems to dominate the wide receiver recruiting situation right now. And if it is true that Williams ends up at Alabama, that'll be the latest example of that. Um, all right, so uh, with that in mind, let's get ready to wrap up our program here today. So unbeknownst to me, because our Dog Nation World Headquarters studios, we're kind of in a cave here. We're like in the center of a very big building. Apparently, it's like mass chaos outside and has been the entirety of our show today. So uh, for those people who've worked hard to keep us on the air today uh, in light of uh, what might be uh, pretty apocalyptic scene weather-wise outside. I uh, certainly appreciate that, Michael Carvel included. And in all seriousness, I hope you're all staying safe where you have, wherever you happen to be here today. It has certainly been quite an adventure. Uh, how about how about our uh, golden shoe? Let's give that away here as we go out today. Hope Cantrell sends a great tweet saying, "Dog Nation, this is Murphy, and you see a great collection of pictures of her dog Murphy." She says, "This golden retriever may not have a golden shoe, but he's a real big gator hater, which is all I need to know." Hope. We'll make Murphy our golden shoe winner here for today, and hope I appreciate you sharing that with us on Twitter. How about Gator Hater Countdown? Nice even round number, 180 days until Georgia gets some revenge against Florida. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.